0: But uh, this morning we want to talk about the resurrection, and uh, it transformed everything, changed it all. And uh, we want to talk just a little bit this morning. I know you're used to, on an Easter Sunday, hearing the resurrection story, but we're not going to go there this morning. We're going to go somewhere else this morning, Um, and we're going to go to a familiar story. Um, It's actually one of the last public miracles of Jesus Christ. It's only mentioned in the Gospel of John because John is the writer who deals with Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And so this becomes a significant, but it becomes a very significant story to the resurrection. It actually is laying all the groundwork for what's going to happen when Jesus comes out of that tomb. So let me give you a little bit of background, then we're going to go to what the Bible says, and then we're going to apply it, and then we're going to be done. So uh, here's the background. Jesus has spent up to down about 33 years ministering. Um, we're coming now to about the last two weeks of his ministry. Jesus is ministering and he's teaching and things like that. And so what's going to happen is, as he's doing that, he has a friend by the name of Lazarus. And he has two other friends, Martha and Mary, who are also part of a group that was very close and, 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 and very much supportive of the ministry of Jesus. And so Lazarus starts to get sick and apparently, I mean, it's ICU kind of sick. He's, he, it's in the last stages of, of whatever. So Mary and Martha send a messenger to Jesus to let him know, hey, listen, your friend, Lazarus, he, he's not going to make it. And uh, we need you to come and see him right now. So that's where we're going to pick up the story, John chapter 11. Here's what it says. Um, uh, oh, you know what? Okay, you guys have it. Normally, I have it back there, so it makes it easy for me to read. But that projector crashed this morning, so I've got to go to my notes now. So you'll see me walk back here every once in a while, which I don't normally do. Here's what it says. Um, verse 17 and 18. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany is less than two miles from Jerusalem. So what happens is they come to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, um, you need to go. And Jesus looks at him and goes, you know, don't worry about it. The sickness isn't under death. And they're like, no, you don't understand. He's like... I mean, I mean, they've told us to come and get you. This is bad. It's interesting, when you read the story, Jesus actually waits a few days before he comes. So by the time Jesus gets there, um, it's been in the two and four days. Um, so you can imagine now, Jesus now shows up, and really they're, in the, they're at the beginning stages of a funeral um, is, is where they are in this deal. And the, the reason I say that is, in, in the world at this time, there was this idea that when somebody passed away, their their spirit kind of hovered above the body, but after three days, it finally left. And so there's that kind of idea floating around. So the fact that it's now four days means that even in in, in that whole world, that pagan world, and everything else around them, they knew that look that he's gone. Okay, in four days he's gone. Okay, um, decom. Uh, um, um, oh, what do you call it? Um, what am I? What i trying to say. D. De- huh decomposition. That's what I was trying to say. Decomposition has started to set in. So here's what it says. It goes on and it says this, and many Jews came to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of the brother. But Mary heard that Jesus was coming. She goes out to meet him, but Mary stays at home. So what happens is they're in the, they're, they're in the funeral process. And during that time, what would happen is they would spend three days um, basically weeping. Um, that, was, that was not uncommon. Then they would spend Four days of what they called mourning, where everybody was just really, really sad, and often they would they would wear something to signify the fact that somebody had died. And then they were going to spend 30 days of what they would call light mourning, and, and, and what would happen in that culture is they would do things within the home that were a reminder that they had just lost somebody. So, for instance... In our culture, for instance, if we were in first century, some of the things that we might do is we would take all of our chairs in our house and our couches and we would turn them and face the walls. So now when you walked into the room, you're like, oh, I don't have a place to sit down. And where do you have to sit? You have to sit on the floor. And as you're sitting on the floor, you go, why am I sitting on the floor? I'm sitting on the floor. Oh, yeah, that's because we just lost somebody. And so they had rituals and and things like that. So in this story, Jesus is coming. They're 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 getting ready to go in that mourning period and after the the crying period. And so as they get ready to go that mourning period, uh, Martha comes out to meet Jesus and Mary, she just stays in the house. Um, And don't read too much into that. I mean, it was just, you know, she had people that were coming to see her. So it's kind of like somebody's got to take and receive people and talk to people and somebody has to go. So she goes out to um, meet Jesus. So when she comes out to meet Jesus, notice what he says, uh, verse 21. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't die. And Lord, why'd you take so long? This is your fault. But I know even now that God will give you whatever you ask. So, 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 so she's in that period where she's, she's struggling. She's hurting because she's just lost her brother. She knows that Jesus is God. She believes that. But it's kind of like, why did you let this happen to me? This wasn't supposed to happen. This wasn't supposed to. I don't know if you've ever felt that. But often we can feel like that. It's like we have our lives. We think they ought to go a certain way. And God does something different. And we get very confused about what God's doing and why God's doing it. And, 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 and we do blame God because it shouldn't have gone that way in our world. And that's basically what she does. She, you know, don't be too hard on her. Many of us have been in this situation where we said, "God, you know, I know you're God, but really, it shouldn't have gone out. It shouldn't have gone this way." And she looks at him and basically says, "Basically, is what she's saying. We sent for you. You could have come earlier, but you were too busy doing other stuff. And if you had gotten here earlier, this would have been okay. And now we had to bury him. But I know, I know, I know that you're God. You can do whatever you want." Um, And then notice what happens, and and this is what Jesus says. Jesus said in her verse 23, your brother will rise again. And she says, I I know he'll rise in the resurrection the last day. Yeah, I I know that. I I believe in a resurrection deal. Uh, Yeah, I'll, I'll see him again. I get all of that. And Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And he looks at her, he says, Martha, do you believe that? Do you? Verse 27 and 28, listen to what she says. Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside and said, The teacher is here. He's asking for you. And then the story goes on. I don't want to encourage you to go home, grab a Bible, um, Google it, um, put it on your phone, bring it up, whatever you need to do. John chapter 11. Read the rest of the story. Here's the Reader's Digest version. Jesus comes to the tomb, and he tells them to roll back, to roll back the stone. And right off the bat, they're going, I don't know if you're new to this process, but we roll that thing back. That odor is going to be just overwhelming and jesus says roll it back and he calls lazarus to come forth and lazarus comes out it's actually a funny story if you read your bible the way i read my bible he comes out like a mummy going like this and one of the first things jesus goes hey hey, unwrap him guys um you know you know he can't do much till we get him unwrapped uh let's unwrap him because that was the way that they would bind a, a person up when they died and uh that's how the story ends. It's the last public miracle of Jesus. You're going to do a couple other things afterwards, but, um, but the, or with particularly in the garden with, with Malchus. But um, in this, story, this is the last public thing. This is the last big thing. Now, you need to understand the setting. This is about two weeks before Jesus goes to the cross. This is right before Passover. This is why on Palm Sunday, everybody's worshiping him, because everybody's talking about this guy who raises the dead. All of a sudden now, there's this Jesus going around, and he already had a following, but now he brought somebody back from the life after four days. Back from the dead after four days. And they're now walking around, and everybody can see him. And everybody is talking about Jesus and Lazarus and of course if you're the modern day re- religious leaders who are about money and not about people this is a problem and if you're Rome who really wants to make sure that there is peace in the area and you have in some by some estimates at Passover you have some people have estimated that there's a million-plus people in Jerusalem. If you've ever been to Jerusalem, there's not room for a million-plus people. That's packed. And all of these people are coming in, and now you have all of these people on Palm Sunday waving all these palms and worshiping Jesus because he's brought somebody back from the dead. You've got two options. Actually, three. Option number one, kill Lazarus. Option number two, kill Jesus. Option number three, take on out. That'll put an end to this thing. They went with option number two, let's take care of Jesus. Let's get rid of Jesus. We get rid of Jesus, and he's dead. He can't bring anybody else back to life. We got the problem solved. You know the story. He dies on a cross. Quickly, because of Feast of First Fruits, they have to put him very quickly in the tomb. The girls come back later to couple of days a uh, day couple of days later to prepare his body correctly and the stones rolled away but here's what you sometimes miss in this story because there was all this talk about dead people walking Rome said we want to make sure this can't happen we want to make sure they don't trick everybody and take his body and steal it away and the religious leaders say look look if if, if the disciples Pull this off and they steal his body. We're really up a creek now because they're going to say he came back from the dead. Let's make sure that can't happen. Let's get Rome to put its official seal on the tomb that says, no one can touch this without approval from Rome. And in fact, let's double it up. Let's put a guard standing by that tomb over a dead man. Let's make sure this can't happen. You think a Roman soldier and a Roman seal is going to keep Jesus in a tomb? And he comes walking out of that thing. And that story takes even more impetus as it starts to grow and grow and grow. And people start talking about it. And as people are talking about it for the next 40 days until Acts chapter 1, Jesus is appearing here and there. And people are seeing him and I don't care if you if you're here this morning and You don't want to believe the Bible and you think that's all a, a bunch of hokey-pokey stuff And and you want to throw that out. Here's here's my challenge to you Here's my challenge to you Put your Bible aside and just go back and read history books Go back and read history books written by pagans who refuse to believe in Jesus Christ. Tell me what they say There's more documentation to the resurrection of Jesus Christ than any kind of of, of event historically that you want to study. God made sure of that. And this morning, you have to ask yourself the same question Jesus asked morning. Do you believe? Do you believe? Two things this morning I want you to learn. Two things I want us all to take away that I think is really important in that statement. Um, Put that statement up, guys, where he says... I am the resurrection and the life. First statement. The resurrection is a person. You need to remember that. We think of the resurrection as an event. And it is, but the resurrection is a person. Because you see, here's what Jesus says. I am the resurrection. Oh yeah, is this one flickering again? (sighs) Technology, both a blessing and a curse. Um... He says, "I am the resurrection." When Jesus said, "I am," what you need to understand is, if you were in a Jewish, if you were in a Jewish world, or if you were in the world at this time, that that was the kind of thing that got you killed. It would be like me walking, and again, I'm, I'm scared to even do this, but I want to make this. I want to make the point. If I stood up and said, "Folks, I am God," you'd be going. Man, I can't believe you're still standing there. You need to understand, when Jesus used those two words, I am, that's exactly what he was saying. I am God. It's mentioned seven times in the book of John. Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, I'm the light of the world. He says, I am, and, and you need to understand, that goes all the way back to the story of Moses. And when Moses got the call from God to go lead the children of Israel out of Egypt, Moses' question was, "God, who do how, I got to tell people? Somebody told me this. What do I tell them?" And Moses said, or God said, "I am that I am. You tell them, Moses. The great I am sent you." From that point on, in all of history, the word, the two words, "I am," were equated with God in the Jewish world. And when Jesus looks at these people and says, "I am." The resurrection. Those, those were things religious leaders killed you over. Because you were claiming to be God. Because you see, what Jesus was trying to illustrate, and what Jesus wanted you to understand is this. The resurrection is a person. Many of you have been burnt by religion. You have been burnt by churches. You've been burnt by denominations. You have, you have put your trust in those kinds of things. And you went, they failed me. You know what? I mean, I did the church thing and it didn't work for me. You know what? I get it. And I, I more power to you. And you go, I don't want anything to do with the church thing. You know what? I'm in your corner. I don't want anything to do with the church thing either. Because you see, Christianity is not about church, it's not about denomination, it's not about system. It's not about rituals, it's not about formulas, it's about a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. And Jesus wanted to be very, very clear to everybody who gathered around him. I am the resurrection. The resurrection is about a person. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's personal. We're not here about the church thing. I don't care about the church thing you go well i just don't like church people i don't like church people either now christians that's a whole nother ball game god's people god's family i'm all in but the church thing and so many people get burned because they're like well you know the church didn't do anything for me that's because it's not personal the church is never going to do anything for you but jesus christ will And it needs to be about that personal relationship. And he looks at them and he says, you need to understand the resurrection is about a person. It's about Jesus Christ. And he's going to focus on that fact because he's going to love these people like you and I cannot comprehend love. Within a week, ballpark, he's going to be sitting in a room with his disciples at a thing called Passover. And before he does that, he's going to be meeting with his disciples, including Judas you going know, to sit down with a meal knowing what Judas is about ready to do to him. He's going to listen to Judas talk. You're going to wash Judas' feet. Knowing the whole time what this guy is going to do. Why? Because that's who he is. He loves you regardless of how you treat him. You go, well, you don't know all the things that I've done. It doesn't matter. doesn't matter. I mean, he loves and cares for Judas. In fact, when he's on a cross, he's hanging on a cross. Next to him are two thieves. They can never go to church. They can never give a dime. They can never teach a Sunday school class. They can never do anything for anybody. They are going to die. And one of them reaches out to Jesus. And Jesus says, today, before this day is out, you and I will be together in eternity. You'll be with me. You'll be with me. The other one rejected him. In fact, he says, we're in the same fate. What do we got to lose? Why? Because that's the story of a resurrection as a person that Jesus Christ cares and loves that much. Notice the other thing that he says, I am a resurrection and the life. The resurrection is about life. You know that. I mean, that's the whole idea of dead to life. You you get that. You know, I just have a hard time with that whole concept. Look, we, we live in an agrarian world where you're, you're getting ready to plant all kinds of seeds to make flowers and vegetables and all that other stuff. And you know what? Every one of them has to die before they can bring forth life. And Jesus had to die on the cross in order to bring forth life. But it's interesting, most of us, when we think about life here, most of you have already put in your head the word Eternal. But you need to understand that when this passage is written, when Jesus spoke these words, life had a much bigger idea than eternity. It had a present idea, and it had a future idea. It's a present idea is this. Christ said, he was here. I'm come. Not that you might have just life, but you might have life abundantly. It's the idea of God's going to help you know how to live life here. Why? Because you follow Christ. See? See? That personal relationship with Christ means that I have someone who can help me through anything I ever go through. And if he's got power to come out of a grave, you think he can handle whatever I've got going on in my world? He can give me the power and the wisdom and the ability to to go through tough times. To have peace and joy in situations that aren't peaceful or joyful. He can give me contentment in times when there's turmoil. He can give me guidance and help and things that would normally sidetrack the average person. Why? Because he came to give me life. A different way of living here. And it's also the idea that there's a future. He says he will never die. Literally, it says never, never die. You believe in me, you live. You'll never, ever, ever die. It's that idea of an eternal dimension to life. It's a statement regarding the way that, 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 that we can have something beyond this world. Because whether you realize it or not, there is a world past this. There is a world past this. We talked about this in our transformations here. You are created as a spiritual being. There's a spiritual dynamic to your life. You say, well, I don't believe that. Again, I would say, put the Bible aside. Go out and study philosophy. Go out and study it. We know that there is something inside of us that yearns, that aches for something bigger than what this world has to offer. It's a void that can only be filled by Jesus Christ. And people will try to fill it all different kinds of ways, but it will always come short. You see, there's an eternal dimension to it. And he says, you know what? You'll never, ever, ever... Ever, 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 never die. There's a turtle dimension to it. We're glad you're here this morning. My question for you is this: Do you believe? Do you believe? But be careful. You see, when you read your Bible, when you go through your, your the Bible, the Bible says the devils believe. That doesn't mean they're Christians. You see, in our world, a lot of times, we we don't understand the word believe like they did in this century. Believe in this time when Jesus said this about belief. It was an all-in kind of thing. Because you see, when these people said they were going to follow Jesus, within 100 years of Jesus saying this, within 100 years of people saying this, here's what I believe meant. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. He your Savior? Yes. Tie him up. During the days of Nero, they would tie you up to a post. They would stick you in the ground. They would pour pitch or tar on your body. They would light you on fire so that as he walked through the garden at night, he could have light to be able to see his garden. And it was lit by burning Christians. Go through and study your history. Look at what they did to Christians during the period of the gladiators. You see, back then when you said, I believe, it meant I'm going to follow you regardless of the cost. It didn't mean I'm going to follow you so I get to be happy, wealthy, and wise. It meant I'm going to follow you because you gave your life for me and I'm going to live for you with whatever it takes. Martha, do you believe? She said, oh yeah, I do. Yes, I do. You see, belief was a new way of life. It changed everything. It started to change everything about you. That's what we've been talking about in the transformation series. It changes everything. It changes the way you do business. It changes the way you speak. It changes the way you raise your children. It changes the way you Spend your money. It changes the way that you have relationships. It changes the way you deal with those family members that you don't like. Don't nudge people sitting next to you, okay? It'll make it really uncomfortable for lunch today. It changes everything. And that's what we're talking about because it's people who have said, "When when I'm up against something, when I don't know what to do, my choice my belief is that Jesus Christ paid the price. He is at the center of my life. I'm going to try to live my life the way he told me to live my life. I'm going to try to live my life the way he lived life. That's what I'm going to do. Because I believe with all of my heart. That's what we're talking about. That's the kind of belief that we're talking about. That's the kind of belief that Jesus, when he said, do you believe? That's the kind of thing he was talking about. Because the people that he talked to, they were going to die because they said, I believe. It was going to cost them something. We're in a world right now where, honestly, think about this for a minute. What if the government said, we're going to pull you over and ticket you, and I'm a saying to do this, we're going to pull you over and ticket you if you have a Christian bumper sticker on your car. It's going to cost you more. Uh, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you know what, we're going to tax that. We're going to, we're going to add a tax to that because you're a Christian and you're money. so we're going to do that. You still sign up for this thing? They started saying, hey, look, we're going, to, we're going to be copying down license plates of cars that leave the parking lot because we're going to try to put you in jail this week. Are you in? What if I told you that if you sign up for this thing, if you want to be a Christ follower one of the ways that, you're going to, that God's going to use you is it's going to be difficult things in your life because he wants the world to see how you handle it because the, we handle it as Christians different than the world does. So it's actually going to be a harder life for you. You still in? Look, he went to a cross for us. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with much grief. Believe me, he understands. He understands the level you and I can. not You came this morning... hearing or learning whatever about a resurrected Christ. The resurrection is a person, and it's about life. So my question to you this morning is this. Do you believe? Do you believe? Have you come to a point where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? I'm not talking about some quick little prayer and then go on and live your life however you want to live your life. That is not salvation. And if you think that because you prayed a quick prayer and you can live however you want to live, that's being a Christian. No, let me me make this very, very simple for you. Christian says, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Christian says, I have a, I don't want to get too deep here, a Christ-centric life where Christ is at the center of my life. That's my goal. My goal is that everything that I do be centered around Jesus Christ. That's a Christian. Not, I pray a prayer so I get to go to heaven. It's not the kind of belief Jesus is talking about here. He's talking about a belief that says, I want Christ to be at the center. I'm like you. I struggle with it every day. Do you think I have my act together? Believe me, I'm just like you. I'm I'm a work in progress, some days are more work than others. And and my wife will be the first to tell you I don't have my act together. Okay, all right? Those of you who are married, you know we can't claim perfection. Believe me, I've tried. Um, it doesn't work. All right. Uh, there are too many witnesses up close, and if you have little kids, it's really, 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 really bad. You know, because I'm learning. In fact, you guys are teaching me there are certain things I can't say anymore from the pulpit. Because when somebody is not smart, I say they are, and people go, you, my children are not allowed to use that word. You can't use it from the pulpit. So I'm learning, okay? And my granddaughter will catch me and say, Grandpa, you can't say, you can't say somebody is... And so I now say, okay, the, those people were not smart. Okay? That's my new way of, of couching it. Because I'm learning, but it changes the way you think. It changes the way you speak. It changes the way you act. Because I want to be a Christ follower. I want to learn what I can. I want to grow in Christ. If you're here this morning, you don't have any clue what I'm talking about. Let me just make it as simple as I can ABC. You admit that you can't get to heaven on your own, that you're a sinner, you need a Savior. I don't think there's too many of us that would get stuck on that point. We all know those areas that we've fallen short. Secondly, you believe. And when I talk about belief, I'm talking about the kind of belief that says, I want Christ at the center of everything in my life. Not the kind of belief that says, I want to go to heaven, God forgive me, so I can go live however I want this week. That's not what we're talking about. The Bible does nothing of that kind of, of belief. Actually, It does. Christ says, on that day, many will say to you, didn't I, didn't I, didn't I? And I'll say, depart from me, I don't know you. I don't know who you are. I don't want to be one of those kind of people. You really believe, because the Bible says, for God so loved the world, that whosoever believes in him should have everlasting life. And then you just simply confess, it's the idea of Telling God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And as best as I know how, I'm going to put my faith and trust in you. I want that personal relationship. That's what it's about. You say, well, it's not about joining a church. It's not about jumping through the hoops. It's not about, no, it's not about that. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I am the resurrection. I am life. It's about me and you in a relationship. That's what it's about. It's our prayer this morning that everyone here understand that. It's our prayer this morning that everyone here is not trusting in some church or some system or some hoop you jump through. But that your salvation and your faith and trust in Christ is personal and real. For me, like I said, every one of us is going to stand before God. Your heart's going to beat one last time. You're going to take one last breath and then you're going to stand before the creator of the universe. On that day, God is not going to look at you and say, so tell me about your life. Let me know about all the good things you did. Okay, well, I know about all the bad things, so let's weigh them all out and see how you come up. He's not going to look at you and say, so tell me everything that you did. It's not going to be about that. I think it's going to be one question. Did you believe and trust in my son, Jesus Christ? Or me. I go back to 16 years old, Detroit, Michigan where I said, God, I realize I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. As fast as I know how, come into my heart, be my Lord and my Savior. From that moment on God became a part of my life. I've worked every day since then to make God more and more the center of my life. Some days I do better than others. But when God, do I stand before God it's not going to be, you know Lord I, I preached a lot. you got to let me in for that. It's, it's going to be, you see, Jesus, that's my Savior. That's my Lord. I don't even think I'm going to have to say much personally. I think Jesus is going to be standing there going, that's my child. Come on in. You're home now. You're home. My children don't have to introduce themselves at my door. They just walk on in. We believe. And over and over throughout Scripture, the Bible talks about us as children of God. I became his child because I put my faith and trust in him. I believed. My question this morning to you is, have you done that? I'm going to close the service. If we can have every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to talk just for a second before I close in prayer, to some of you who may have never done that. And this whole thing might be new to you, but I want to give you an opportunity to really this morning set in stone doing that. And so if this morning that is your desire, to really put your belief and faith and trust in Jesus Christ, not just pray prayer, not keep going on your life the way that it has been, but to really make Christ the center of it. Pray with me in your heart something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I know there's nothing I can do to save myself. The Lord, forgive me. At this moment, I trust Christ alone as the one who bore my sin when he died on the cross. I believe that all that's necessary for me to stand before you is to put my faith and trust in you. And so as best as I can this morning, I trust you. And I claim the promise that you have forgiven my sin and made me your child. I take you at your word. Thank you for the assurance of that. And walk with me as I seek to honor you, not in order to be accepted by you, but because you have accepted me. Lord, for each of us here this morning, there is no greater thing than to know we are your children. Lord, there were two people that hung on the cross next to you, one accepted, one rejected. As we leave here this morning, Lord, I pray that there would be none here who would reject you. But then, Lord, instead, they would be able to seal that idea that they have pushed their faith and trust and belief in you and you alone. Thank you, Lord, for being the resurrection and the life. And Lord, help us as we live in this world to reflect the values and the principles of the world to come. And Lord, may people see Christ in us and all we do. These things we ask in your name. Amen.